If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. In a few minutes, we'll hear from Dr. Amber Hoffman and her involvement directing the Nemours Children's Hospital Pediatric Residency Program. Right now, though, let's meet Michelle Burroughs. Michelle is the Director of Community Affairs and the Office of External Relations in the Delaware Valley. The goal for external affairs and community engagement is actually to get all the things that we're passionate about as it relates to children out into the community. So we do a lot in the hospital. We have volunteers come into the hospital and help us out with all the efforts that we have. But our goal is to actually take the associates and place them out into the community and find volunteering efforts. We help support programs. We develop programs to help the community get to know the mores and what we're passionate about as it relates to kids. And the Delaware Valley, which includes Pennsylvania and New Jersey, as well as Delaware, is a community that Michelle knows quite well. So I actually grew up in Delaware, so I knew about AID Pond because it was always this huge building and mansion. And, you know, you hear the stories of DuPont when you're a kid in Delaware. Um, But as an adult, I had a daughter who, as soon as she was born, um, was recognized that she had hypotonia. Hypotonia means decreased muscle tone. It can be a condition on its own or a symptom of another issue, such as muscular dystrophy or cerebral palsy. It is often diagnosed in infancy, as was the case with Michelle's daughter. After about three months when she wasn't doing things like trying to roll over or lift her head, um, she actually came to Nemours for physical therapy. It started out twice a week and then it was once a week up until she was about five or six. So during that time, I got a chance to learn a lot about Nemours. The staff and the therapy department was amazing. I always give Sherry a shout out. My daughter daughter loves Sherry Dawson (laughs) tremendously. But, you know, they were a support system and that's how I really became familiar with what happened inside of Nemours. So you're a new mom and there's this diagnosis. How did you feel? It was stressful. I mean, you know, I finally got to the point where I had gotten into the delivery room, had my baby, and then they have to come in and tell you, you can't go home. There's, we have to talk to you about something that's not quite right. So that kind of takes the wind out of you because you kind of feel like an achievement after several losses in pregnancy and then having my baby and then them say that something's wrong. Um, That was tough. But I will say the journey became distinctly different once she became a patient at Nemours because my first experience was at a different hospital locally in a very large city. When we went in, it was very overwhelming. You didn't really feel um, anyone paying any particular attention to you and you kind of get shuffled around. It was a challenge finding parking on city streets. And when you come into Nemours, it's like that movie where you hear the heavenly gates open. There's like music. And it was just a completely different experience. And that's actually the moment I fell in love with the actual hospital because it changed my entire experience. And it brought my stress levels down. 
And again, Sherry treated my daughter the way I would have treated her when she had her. So it was, it, it, it helped a lot. That experience impressed Michelle. So much so that a year and a half ago, after working in both finance and higher education, she took on her current role at Nemours, building a team of three to ensure a positive Nemours presence in the Delaware Valley. So I love my team. I work with Danielle Stubbelow and Chris Gunter, and they are two pockets of fire on their own. Danielle manages sponsorships for the Delaware Valley. So she's the person that keeps me honest as it relates to how much money we have to spend how much money we can give out. And Christopher is responsible for our associate volunteering opportunities. So when our partners need volunteers or if we're looking for volunteer opportunities for our associates, he makes those connections and publishes the opportunities for associates to sign up. And they are honestly just very passionate about what they do. And that's what keeps me motivated because our team meetings are such a joy. And I think It's great, especially in what could be very trying times in society when you have a a small team like ours, it's a team of three, and we have our team meetings, it's it's starting to feel like a family. So um, that's actually a really great benefit, too. What's the importance of having the community know who the Nemours Associates are and knowing who Nemours is and the value that they bring to the Delaware Valley? Um, I think it's important because Nemours is here to promote children's health with us being such a behemoth in Delaware as it relates to the size of the organization and the history um, in the organization. I think it's important for us to make sure that people not just understand that Nemours is there as a children's hospital, that there's a historical value to Nemours and why they're in the community with, you know, the focus of multiple departments now going out and trying to be more visible That's important because you can go out and also start to educate the community more about children's health and things that they don't know are affecting their kids. I mean, we are the voice of health. And a lot of times in the communities that we serve, there are things that we can share with them that they wouldn't have thought about. It's interesting that we may take for granted that some people may know that a flu vaccination is important, for example. But there are several communities where it's optional and they believe it's optional the importance for the more to be out in the community now is to really start to reemphasize for communities who are not as familiar with the flu vaccines why they should be doing it. One major reason to get a flu vaccination this year in particular is the emergence of COVID-19. While getting a flu vaccine will not protect you against COVID-19, it does reduce risk from flu and helps to conserve potentially scarce healthcare resources during a pandemic a pandemic that has impacted not only the way Michelle and her team work, but taken the lives of members of Michelle's own family. When COVID first hit, three of my family members in my immediate family, and there are six of them, my mom and her siblings, um, got sick. Actually, four of them got sick. One was sedated for over 40 days and three of them passed away. And I think for me, my experience with COVID, I think, is a little bit different than people who look at it it as something that's happening to the world. It's happening real time. And actually, a few days ago, I found out that my cousin on the same side of the family tested positive. So for me, the way that it has changed is it has really highlighted the disparities in healthcare for certain communities. And we've talked about this as an organization. I think we've done a really good job of starting to highlight some of those things. But there are very deeply rooted 
issues that have happened over a long period of time that make certain communities more susceptible to it. And regardless of the fact that I may have, you know, whatever level of degrees or, you know, whatever personal accolades, it doesn't protect you from what has happened over a course of several years because your DNA is still the same. Your family may not have certain levels of access. So I think, you know, when we start talking about how it changes what we do, I think for me, I really look at the communities that we serve a little bit differently because I know what it's like to be on that side of it and to feel hopeless. Some of the experiences that we had just make you feel like there's no hope out there when you have, you know, hospitals that won't come pick up your family because they don't have enough ambulances. And, you know, some everybody in my family doesn't have the financial ability to say, well, I'll just go purchase my own transportation, my own um, ambulance to take me to the hospital. So what do you do? You sit there. And unfortunately, that sometimes can um, become fatal. And when you say certain communities, um, just to be clear, we're talking about a disparity in the African-American community where this is affecting those communities at a higher rate and a more deadly rate than most others. Correct. So if you use my family as a bit a baseline, right? So four people had it and three of them passed away within 12 days of each other. And that's the reality of it. I mean, it's not a flu. It's not, you know, something where we can walk around and treat it lightly. We have to take it serious and we have to protect ourselves and we have to educate people. So what can we do to get in front of things to start educating more? We shifted the way that we did sponsorships and focused on things that may have been heightened as it relates to um, the pandemic environment. So food insecurity is one of the primary things we've been focusing on, Um, just making sure that we support organizations like Phil Abundance, for example, and the Food Bank of Delaware. Um, we supported um, Lutheran Ministries in New Jersey, and it's really making sure that we can help them restock food because they have so much food going out every day right now because it's not just about families who could not afford food the entire time. You have people who have never been in a food bank now going in there because food prices have gone up and incomes have gone down because people are furloughed. So when you go in and chicken used to be $6 and now it's 19, they can't purchase their food. Any words of wisdom for your fellow associates? I think with everything that's going on in the world right now, with social injustice and COVID and the election and all these other things, I think the only words of wisdom that I would have is, you know, they go back to what I said about my smaller team, which is, you know, we spend so much time together at work. Um, the best thing that you can do is to remember why we do what we do. Leave all of that other stuff alone, right? And just remember that there is a there's a common thread there that can help you be protective of each other. It's not just about coming to work and figuring out how to get through the day, but how can you also, you know, become protective of the people around you? And sometimes that just means saying hello to somebody when they're walking alone in the hallway. You don't really know, is that person walking alone because they chose to, or they just run into a meeting? Or does that person really feel alone and they have nobody else to walk with? I've been that person. Say hello. If we can do a more focused job of being not just trying to be diverse, but to be inclusive, I think that is probably the best thing we can do 
as we also look to take that same energy and go back out into the community. You can't be two different cultures. Michelle Burroughs is the Director of Community Affairs in the Nemours Office of External Relations in the Delaware Valley. In the last episode of our podcast, Dr. Amber Hoffman shared with us the personal story that ultimately led her to become the director of the Medically Complex Coordination Clinic at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. She has also taken on the role as director of the Pediatric Residency Program at NCH. That's the other part of my excitement in my work that really gets me coming into work every day with a skip in my my step. So uh, there is a shortage of pediatric uh, healthcare providers and, and physicians in Florida, and it's only going to get worse, where many states or cities are seeing their pediatric volume dwindling. Florida is in a boom, in particular the area of central Florida. Uh, I see it in the houses that are going up all around the hospital here and in the uh, the schools that after two years are are busting at the seams and are you know using portables or cottages in the back to um, handle the overflow. So we have an incredible growth that's happening here. And in addition to having a shortage of pediatricians, there's also going to be an even greater shortage of pediatric subspecialists. So for a state that has an incredibly large population, we are going to be in dire straits in the next decade if we don't have more pediatricians and more pediatric subspecialists here. We all would do anything for our children, but if you had to wait six months or nine months to see a pediatric specialist, you would probably say that's unacceptable when you'd fly out of the state of Florida or drive out of the state of Florida and try to find care elsewhere. And we don't think that that should be the case. We feel like Floridians should be able to get great health care for their kids right where they live. So we're committed to growing the not just the pediatricians in the community, but also the pediatrics of specialists in the community. And that is really one of the reasons why this residency was created in the first place and got such great support. So we have 24 residents out of our final 36, and we're recruiting our third class. So we will, by next year, have three full classes since it's a three-year residency And then we'll be starting to launch our fellowship programs under the guidance of Heather Fagan, our DIO. So it's really very exciting to um, create this pipeline for Florida. Is this a problem, the shortage of pediatric uh, pediatricians as well as subspecialists centered on Florida? Is this a national problem? It will be a national problem, but it's particularly going to be a hard problem for Florida just because of the patient population growth here. If you think too, with, with Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Irma, that there were huge influxes of uh, pediatric patients as well during those times. And I you know, hope that there will not be another one of those devastating hurricanes again. But uh, when th- that happened, when Hurricane Maria happened, there was an ent- thousands and thousands and thousands of pediatric patients as well as their parents and caregivers that were displaced and then sort of landed in Florida and needed care. They needed schooling. And uh, that was an incredible stress to an already stressed system. Tell me about the residents that you're interviewing. Tell me about the residents that you have in place already. Where did they come from? Are they strictly from Florida or are they from all over? No, they're from all over. 
we certainly have our Floridians. It seems like there's something about once you live in Florida, it's hard not to come back here. Phenomenon. I'm, I'm now, you know, living in Florida for the first time, but there are a lot of people that may leave for school, but are looking to come back when they're done. So uh, certainly we would, we would love for, you know, many of our residents to ultimately want to stay in Florida, but we also know that some of them may want to get fellowship opportunities outside of the state and, um, we just hope that maybe they'll come back whenever they're all done, because most people end up practicing somewhere within 100 miles of where they either finish the residency program or finish their fellowship program. So um, when you train someone, you have a good chance that they're going to stay stay by. Our first class really was a class of people with grit, with ingenuity, and who really wanted to contribute to the creation of a brand new program. They knew that everything wasn't going to be picture perfect. Things aren't picture perfect, even if you've had a program in existence for 50 years. But um, they were willing to see what the curriculum was like, make recommendations for change, and be, you know, our first class coming through. And to then shelter and mentor the rest of the, the crew coming behind them. So they've been very creative and have helped us. Um, make changes to the curriculum that the second year or the first year class is now experiencing. And our second year class too is just also outstanding. I mean, both classes really represent a wide variety of representation of what the patient population is that we serve. They look like their patients. They may have the same religion as their patients. They may come from the same ethnic background of their patients. I think it's pretty hard to look at our residency and not have someone that looks like you or believes what you believe. And so we, we really wanted to have a residency program that looked like the patients that we were serving. And they are very focused on advocacy as well. And one of our residents, Laura Chilcutt, has with one of our uh, ID colleagues, Dr. Adriana Cadilla, they wrote a grant to get a pilot for a mobile uh, health unit to serve pediatric patients in the community and have done some of their test runs and are um, trying to finalize some of the the dotted I's and the cross T's to, to make it launch because, you know, no good deed goes unpunished yeah, in terms right. of trying to get things off without a hitch. But they're taking the healthcare to the patients. Even though we have locations in multiple different areas, there are still barriers to getting healthcare that are out there. We still have large, large areas that are underserved, and we want to take the healthcare to them. And we've got a lot of residents that are willing to spend their Saturdays doing mobile clinics. That's how they want to spend their day off, going out into the community. If um, you were to give these young residents advice, what would you tell them? I think in some ways I have to give myself the advice, which is to um, recognize talent and not get in their way. <laughs> Just really um, to help them move on to the, their, their next journey. Just because it may be not, not now doesn't mean not ever. And uh, if they have a good idea, that um, they should really push and take it to fruition. Um, we've already seen them doing it. It's, it's hard to say there's one piece of advice, but I would say, you know, when you, when you have a vision, don't let the no's get in your way. They're just not now's. 
Dr. Amber Hoffman is director of the Pediatric Residency Program and of the Medically Complex Coordination Clinic at Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. Thank you so much to both of today's guests, Dr. Amber Hoffman and Michelle Burroughs, for sharing their Nemours stories as part of the Champions for Children podcast. Have you taken the time to share your Nemours story with your fellow associates? Perhaps you know of an extraordinary associate story that needs to be told. Let us know about it by sending an email to podcast at Nemours.org. That way we can set up a remote interview at your convenience and get the word out about the great work you and your fellow associates are doing on behalf of each other, our patients, and their families. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Our podcast team includes Deborah Griffin and Peter Adebi. Thanks to both of them for their help in making this podcast possible. You can catch the podcast anywhere podcasts are found, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio.com, Spotify, or on your favorite smart speaker. Simply tell it to play the Champions for Children podcast. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. And the final word today goes to Michelle Burroughs, who provides an update on the health of her now eight-year-old daughter. She's running circles around the house right now <laughs> while I'm trying to work. Uh, she makes cameos on my meetings sometimes, but she's doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. As always, please stay safe, stay well. And thank you so much for all you do for the children we serve.